Hi, I'm Lisa Kennedy and you're listening to The Bra and the Brave. This podcast celebrates the creative and the courageous. I am fascinated by those who are talented, forward-thinking and inquisitive. Sharing their stories, wisdom and everything in between, The Bra and the Brave is about people and their passions. So on to today's episode. Can you see that it's recording your end eye? Yeah, recording. Yes. I, lo- I love a wee, I love a casual start. Just as a begged you there not to be controversial. No, I didn't. Honest, I'm pro- I promise. <laughs> <laughs> I know I'm talking to strangers on the internet. That's these are the things they tell you not to do. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but it's became my my norm in this wee cupboard that I've created, and I'm beaming all over the world, and I'm talking to somebody in London right now, which is all very exciting. Yeah. <laughs> It's uh, technology, you know. Absolutely. Well, I will say that I am thrilled to be talking to Tony McGeever. Yeah, and likewise. Thanks. Ron and the Brave, you know. I know. Well, we do have a couple of tenuous connections. Yes. You've got a friend called Cameron Barnes. Yes. Who's been on the podcast. Yes, well, I call him a friend. He never returns my phone calls. No, he does, he does. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> he'll, he'll randomly say, are you in Glasgow? And I go, yeah. And then that's it. <laughs> <laughs> you're just checking that you're still alive. Yeah, he's just checking, you know. But uh, <laughs> Cammy for you. And you know Cammy because you are both actors. Yeah. So uh, I was at drama school and Cammy got cast in the wonderful play that is Black Watch. And uh, Cammy had never been in the acting world before. And he needed a place to stay. So um, obviously a lot of my friends were in Blackwatch and they were like, Tony, do you mind if he stays at your house? And I was like, of course. And uh, uh, a bromance was born. <laughs> Love it. Uh, what a kind soul yeah. you are, sir. <laughs> so I've been, I've been doing my research on you, Tony McGeever. Oh, and yeah. you have been in the world of acting from a very young age, it would seem. Very, very young. Aye, so what's that about? So you were you're brought up in Edinburgh. I was, yeah, I was brought up in Edinburgh, and um, it's obviously with Edinburgh Fringe, and I I kind of grew up in the Royal Mile. My auntie had a flat there, so that was kind of such a, a wonderful upbringing to literally play in the alleyways and streets of the Royal Mile in Edinburgh. Totally. Uh, so it was very adventurous. So you can yeah. kind of see already, like, my imagination being surrounded, you know, by that was mm. incredible, you know. I had yeah, just performance being, like, the norm around you. Yeah, the norm. I And to me, Edinburgh's like a multi-million pound film set, you know. Uh, and yeah. I'm like running down alleyways pretending to be a knight or, or, like, or like a Dickensian, you know, a pauper, you know, to, like, the Americans and stuff. And uh, I got in a lot of trouble as well. You know, Manny used to say, Get in here, so stop. <laughs> and uh, but yeah, so obviously performance and stuff, and then our fringe obviously made a massive impact on me. Mm. And uh, obviously there was other elements as well, like from family members as well. Uh, Uncle Tony is uh, is quite a well known artist in America, and every time he came over, I kind of seen him as this person, like coming from America, and he was I hate to use the word, but quite arty in a way, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, like, that whole element as well. My sister, she was a, a musician and a singer, and my whole family, you know, we used to sing songs. So 
yeah, that all those influences kind of embedded in me. And then obviously it was like my parents were like, what do we do with this? So, uh, you know, how can we control him? As all parents do, yeah, we'll just pass him on to someone else uh, to deal with. So, yeah, so I started doing plays and stuff. And then quite an early age, I did, um, I was in uh, Oliver, Cameron McIntosh's Oliver. So what age were you then? I, I was probably about eight or nine. Yeah. Do you remember much about it? Yeah, I do. Uh, now, the reason why I remember it, and, it will, and I'll always remember it, sadly, is because our first, our rehearsal uh, was the day Princess Diana passed away. Wow. They always say you'll remember the day that yeah. Princess Diana. And that was it. Because right. we were filled with excitement as well. And obviously, you know, I understand what was happening as well. And it was just a really bizarre day. Because coming in, really excited, but we kind of knew that something strange and awful had happened. I was sitting on one of those really seventies wicker chairs when I found out. Yeah, yeah. In my in my bedroom in my like my yeah. parents' house, and yeah. I had one of those really old wicker yeah. chairs. You know, they were like the big peacock back. Yeah. I don't know why I remember that, well, but it's so weird how you remember things well, like that. Well, yeah, I remember because, and I still do. I stay up quite late just watching television or film, and I had a TV in my bedroom, so I and it kind of it kind of helped me get to sleep. I remember the news came on that she passed away. And I obviously couldn't tell my parents. And then it was the next day at breakfast. I went, oh, something happened last night. I went, yeah, no, I've seen it. And ah. Just bizarre. A bizarre, bizarre day, yeah. yeah. You said you were around eight then? I th- I th- yeah, eight or nine, but yeah, I remember. Ah. So, uh, but I always knew that I wanted to be an actor by the age of five or six. Because obviously you do the nativity plays at school. What role did you play? Well, this is, this is why I knew I wanted to do it. Because normally you would play the angel, you know primary you know four five six you, you and it was only the primary seven who got to play mary or joseph or the drummer boy and i was like i want to be the drummer boy and i was like five and they were like oh no one's ever ever asked in the history of the school for a role okay and they went well we may as well give it to them so uh, i played <laughs> i played the drummer boy yes yeah. I love how you were just like, um, my name's Tony McGeever and I yeah. audition for the role yeah. of Drummer Boy. Yes, here's my CV. <laughs> for my agent, I can't mum. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But those formative years are so important. Like, because I know you've all, you were also in Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. Is yeah. that right? Yes. Because I played Joseph in Primary 7. I was actually Joseph. I. Wow. And, like, they're still talking about it in most in Primary, I'm yeah. sure. <laughs> the legend there's a legend story there can you imagine yeah, yeah. how cool I was in primary seven with all the P7 boys with the brothers and yeah. I was Joseph wow. doesn't do much for your street cred I'll tell you that yeah well <laughs> so yeah so going from Oliver which yeah. is like do you know what I mean like world renowned production yeah. as a yeah. young kid Cameron and yeah Cameron McIntosh yeah so uh, did yeah. that get you into Joseph then yeah yeah so from that um that was another bizarre thing because it was like one thing to the next and I was still at like high school and we're doing that. And I remember, it's kind of weird because they, they kind of both blend into the same thing for me. But I remember Cameron McIntosh took us for like Pizza Hut <laughs> and we're sitting there and he went, you can have anything you want. Because <laughs> it's Cameron McIntosh, he's, 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 you know, he's doing all right. So he's <laughs> and, and he and it was like that and it was like sort of, the first, I was like, 
this is when I was like, wow, this world is really because I was just doing it for fun. I loved singing, I loved acting, and you know, it was a thing that you did. To me, it wasn't really serious, but then it started to get when you start to do these things, it starts to get a little bit more serious, and, and then you have to have like a chaperone and things like that. Oh, was, I remember it. So we also at that time uh, we opened the Armadillo Theatre in Glasgow. So the Armadillo Theatre, the Scottish. I think we had the Scottish government at that time. I think, yeah. So they wanted to showcase that Scotland could compete with the West End and that we had the best stage and best lighting, best sound. And they were like, well, how can we show that off? So someone went, well, let's just put on a West, a proper West End show. So what they did was they flew up all the West End casts because it was on a Sunday, so there was no shows. So you literally had... Uh, you had every every show in the West End flew up to Glasgow and did three songs to showcase that the Armadillo Theatre could stage what they were doing down in the West End. So that was incredible because I literally met every cast member and every person in the West End in one day. Jeez. Yeah. Oh. And the funny thing with that is, <laughs> this is as a kid, uh, in the green room, they had caviar. So obviously someone... I don't know who it was. One of the cast members of a show wanted caviar, you know, and we were just going, this is incredible. And there was like champagne. Obviously, we couldn't have the champagne, but it was a very glitzy, you know, thing. But that was bizarre. But and yeah. it's one of my like, all-time favourite shows. I actually choreographed the amateur version last year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it is, it's a brilliant show. Well, 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 that's why, like, Tim Rice and all that, that, the reason why they did it, because they wanted... It, is, it was literally a musical for schools. That's what it was originally made for, to get school kids interested in music. And it, it still does that today. And it's such the songs are fantastic and you just can't help yourself just singing along to them. Uh-huh. Yeah. It's something for everybody, I think, like parts-wise yeah. as well. There's like a bajillion yeah. things, do you know what I mean, yeah. that people can be doing. Yeah. But yeah. yeah. And every, every kid, you know, a lot of people want to play Joseph, but everyone wants to play Elvis. Yeah, you know that's cool. He, oh, everyone loved that guy. He was just like, oh, I want to be, I want to be Elvis. You know, like you were saying, like that was you as a young person. So, but it yeah. sounds like you were literally on that path. Like you'd been in that world and on a professional level. It's one thing, like going to classes when you're a kid, yeah. you know, local classes and stuff. And I'm sure you were doing that kind of thing as well. But mm-hmm. you were like in the big time. Yeah, but I didn't really realize that I was. So I think I think people liked that because it was very relaxed. You know, I didn't know what that was going on, to be honest, you know. Yeah. And so uh, but I, I think it's when you start to become adult that, you know, these the breakers come on and the, the walls start to come up and you're like, whoa, you know, I'm actually doing this now. So, yeah. So you were definitely on that path. Like, I want to be an actor since I was five years old mm-hmm. and I'm going to go and study at the RSAMD, which mm-hmm. is now conservatoire yes and how was your time there oh absolutely fabulous you know it's um I, I was actually talking uh to uh, a group of students uh pass in edinburgh the other day there uh, with another fellow and good friend actor and nifal oslam and we we're kind of they were saying you know is drama school necessary uh and my, my, my friend Nuf didn't go to drama school he went down to london did it the hard way and i would say i was like well here's the proof that you don't need to but it's for I always say it is for some people and it isn't. And before I went into, a lot of people were warning me, Tony, don't change, don't change your style and acting, don't, you know, just go there for the experience and for the connections, but still be you. 
be this rawness, you know, that was that apparently had. Um, so yeah, but I actually loved it. Um, like the connections you make, the friendships you make, um, just all the different experiences. You, you, just every day was exciting to go because you didn't know what was going to happen. You didn't know who was going to turn up. Um, you didn't know what you were going to learn. But the great thing, the great thing that I loved uh, about the RSAMD or the Conservatoire now is compared to other drama schools, uh, they literally said, look, this is what we're doing today. You don't need to take it on. You don't need to use it. You either can or you can't. We're, we're not saying that this is the A to B acting or A to Z acting. You know, this is, you know, we're not saying this is how you do it. Mm they just offered it to you and go, look, this is an aspect or we're going to discuss this or we're going to do this. Uh, where I have heard that other drama schools are quite militant and go, this is our method. This is this is what we do. This is, you know, this is the type of actor you're going to be when you mm-hmm. come out here. The car- surely they don't want to be churning out the same carbon copy, like, you know, 12 actors that are all the same way. That exactly. exactly. And, and this is the beauty of, uh, and I'm quite, you know, fly the flag, you know, for the academy for that. They take what you've got already and they just, you know, they just amplify it. They, or they make it better. They polish it up Mm. instead of, which is fantastic. Yeah. So then you step out of the conservatoire with this qualification and you've been in that world. But I guess at that point it's like, right, well, I need to, I'm doing this for real. Like I'm playing now. Was it, you know, I'm I'm going to London because I see, you know, I hear that time and time again. It's like, well, that's the place to to be. Yeah, well, all of my class went to London. I didn't. Um, I had quite a bizarre study because I got my first professional TV show when I was in first year. Right. Which was bizarre. Um, I got a phone call. Like, I always say this in podcasts, but I, I could literally write a book off the moment I get things. And people say, okay. and people will say that never happened, Tony. That never happened. Um, so I was, so I didn't have an agent, and I was in Glasgow, and it was the kind of thing, you know, to get auditions, you have to have an agent. And I had a fantastic class. Um, I had a fantastic actor, a good friend uh, Scott Fletcher, and everyone loves him. And he was going up for auditions all the time. Um, and his brother Ryan Fletcher as well. You know, you know, they were like the hot tickets, and still are at the moment. So they were going up for this TV show called Hope Springs. My mate Gary French in my year was also up for it. So we were in the pub around the corner in the academy and they're all discussing this exciting new TV show. And I sat there with a pint and I was like, oh, I, I literally said these words. I went, oh, I wish I had an agent so I could be up, you know, like be up for the part. And I think Ryan turned around and went, mate, don't worry, it will come. You know, just and as soon as he said that, and I said that, my phone rang, and I was like, "Oh, what's this?" So I went out, and it was the casting director. <laughs> yeah, it was the casting director, uh, Orlo Connor. She was like, "Tony, how are you?" And I was like, "Yeah, I'm good." I was like, "Oh, uh, are you still acting?" And I was like, "Yeah, yeah." So I went to um, a college before. Uh, right. I went, I went to Coatbridge College before, and I did the show. So she seen me at the showcase. 
so that's why she had my number and stuff. So uh, she didn't just like plug out of nowhere. <laughs> then I would like Tony. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, she was like, "Oh, are you still acting?" And I was like, "Yeah." I was like, "Oh, I'm at the academy now." And she was like, "Oh, fantastic." She was like, "Well, I'm not too sure if you've heard, but I'm casting this show." I was, uh, I was kind of, yeah, literally just heard thirty seconds ago, uh, and we would like you to come in to audition. So when I went back in to the boys, I went, "You'll never guess who that was." And they were like, "What?" I was like. That was Orla O'Connor. And, uh, Shut up. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, there was a few X words that I can't say on this podcast. <laughs> and then, yeah, and then, yeah, the rest is history. Three editions later, I got the part. But I couldn't tell anyone. I couldn't tell anyone because um, it was during the summer. It was between first and second year during the summer we were filming. Uh, but then I had to tell the Academy saying, I've just been cast, so, you know, I'll miss the first three months. And they were like, that's cool, just coming for classes. But I couldn't tell my class. And then we were filming out at the BBC studios with the Do River City. And I was in the canteen and my mate Gary French came in. He was like, Tony, what are you doing here? And I was like, um, remember that TV show? It was like, yeah. No, I went, oh, well, what are you doing here? And he was like, oh, I got a part in that TV show. I was like, oh, excellent. He was like, what are you doing here? I was like, I'm in the TV show too. <laughs> and then it was like, I think you're playing my best friend in the show. <laughs> so we got to do it. It was amazing. My first ever professional scene and TV show was with my mate Gary. <laughs> That's so, yeah. bonkers. But it just shows you like that showcase at Coat Bridge. You know, obviously at the time that would have been a big deal and you were doing it, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then you were obviously like, I'm going on to study further. Yeah. And you just never know who's watching. Yeah, so that's the thing. You never know. So a lot of my jobs are like bizarre coincidences of things that have happened back. And then after that, the, the, here's another bizarre story. Again, my uh, my drama school class can verify this. They can't believe it happened. Uh, we were in, I think, second year, and we did a clowning workshop, a fantastic uh, – again, I'm so bad with names. I should have a list with names of people. But we had a fantastic teacher come over and teach us the act of clowning. Now, it's not being ha-ha funny clowning. It's the whole point, the whole thing about, like, the red nose amplifies, you know, who you are as a person. So if you're sad, so it's very subtleness. But this, this woman, to us, that two weeks wasn't about clowning. It was about who we were. Sorry, I'm going to get deep here, but like inside yeah. the stuff that we're going through. And she could literally, she, we have never met anyone who knew us so fast, like really deeply. It was quite as if she had like a sixth sense. And she nicknamed us like for this. So she was like, da, da, da. and for some reason, she nicknamed, she, she gave me the name Hamlet. So she would never tell us our names. So she went, Hamlet, you come here <laughs> and you do this and it's like that. And people were like, I was like, so during lunch, I was like, why should she call me Hamlet? And to me, and I said, I had I had a conversation uh, with a, a friend again in drama school. I was like, why Hamlet? I was like, look, I would never get cast in the Royal Shakespeare Company. Why would they want me, a Scottish guy? You know, that's never going to happen. Uh, and she kept saying, one day you're going to play Hamlet. One day you're going to play Hamlet. And she kept saying this in class, but she said other things. And then, and then she went to my, my teacher uh, she was like, yeah, Tony's going to play Hamlet. And then my teacher went, oh, no, 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 no. You don't mean Tony, you mean Tommy. <laughs> my mate Tommy, because he would be fantastic. She was like, no, Tony, Tony's going to. So this was the day. And then we were also doing another play. Um, and 
a fantastic uh, theatre critic called Mark Brown. I've got a lot to thank him for. Uh, he was uh, going down on the train with uh, a director who was about to direct uh, a fantastic play, the Royal Shakespeare Company, that I was in. And she was like, oh, do you know any Scottish actors? And he was like, well, yeah, I've just been working with a few. You should see Tony McGeever. So then I ended up getting an audition and then I got cast with the Royal Shakespeare Company. And the next day, the class went, you've got to go up and tell her that you've just been cast in the Royal Shakespeare Company. This is literally days, you know, within that week. So she knew, it was as if she knew that I was going to get cast in the Royal Shakespeare Company. That's bonkers, isn't it? Yeah. I love that. And but my- you're right, like that idea of being yourself, that must there must be something in that. It seems like contradictory because you're being an actor, you're playing someone else. Yeah, yeah. But I guess in the space and and the process, whether it's on set or whether you're in an audition or whether you are in a workshop with that clown expert, there must be something in that that it's what you're bringing to the table before you turn into this this other character. Well, that's the thing. It was like, I think going through that process, it was one of my best auditions ever because she literally was honing us but we were like so primed for anything after those two weeks or like during it so i went in and did you know obviously a good addition and i got cast yeah yeah so it was just bizarre it was what those are the two most like bizarre and the phrase to me you know you know they always say oh oh, it's who you know but it's like it's so it's basically like who you meet and it, it was those bizarre coincidences of someone getting on a train to go down to Newcastle and it just so happened to be sitting with the director, you know, and then him, you know, saying, oh, well, I've just been working with the Royal, you know, the Academy. Mm-hmm. Like, here's a list of boys to see. This is Mark Bryan, a theatre critic, you know, and uh, his word's pretty golden, you know, he's, you know, so she's like, yeah, I'll see him. Uh, and then literally got a phone call. While again, it was really uh, Mark invited us around his house because uh, the class, like, uh, just to say thank you for uh, another workshop we were doing with him. And I got the phone call in the taxi on the way there, so it was great to say thank you to him in person for absolutely. You know, uh, so it sounds like you know, you were obviously born to do this. You, you're at drama school, you're still learning, and it, but you're still getting all these parts. And I'm sure that happens for other people, but I'm sure there's people in the course that were, you know, were just there and just absorbing it all, but not yeah. working as a professional actor like you were. Yeah, it was It was really, because I was coming back, like me and Scott Fletch at the time, we were like working quite a lot. And, and it was, I'm very grateful for the Academy to allow me to do that. Because uh, they try and protect you as much as possible because they don't want you going out into the real world, you know, as fast. But I always say that for TV and film, you have to do that. And drama schools, I think still to this day, they can teach acting for camera in a way, but they just they, they can never teach the scale of it. Or you do literally need to earn and cut your craft on set. Got you. Being surrounded by, you know, established actors. Like, well, hopefully mm. the cast was incredible from that and so I learned so much from them and then doing the Royal Shakespeare play as well I learned so much from that and then in third year I got cast in a Jimmy McGovern series with Mackenzie Crook so it was a Jimmy McGovern series which is like uh, incredible television so literally I got a phone call on the Thursday and I was meant to be going into tech for my last play at the academy 
and my agent was like, are you prepared to walk out of the academy if they don't allow you to do this and not get your degree? Because my agent was like, you need to do this, Tony. It's Jimmy McGovern. You'll never get this opportunity again. It's a Jimmy McGovern series. It's, you know, beautiful storytelling, filmmaking. And I was shaking because I was like, I'm about to do my final play. And we're about to, so we finished rehearsals on the Friday, but Saturday, Sunday off, and then Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, we're back to tech. So I was, I've never, I was literally shaking going up to, you know, the heads of the drama school with the director and they turned around to him. Well, they went, okay, fantastic. This is a great opportunity. And they seen the way I was, how important it was. And I was literally shaking. I was like, this is, I need to do this. And then they went, oh, give us two seconds, Tony, go out. And then they were speaking to the director and apparently the director said, they asked me if you if you would be able to still do the show without doing a tech? And I said, yes. So he came out and he went, don't let me down. (laughs) (laughs) No pressure. No pressure. Your course is important as much as you were getting all this work. And, you know, you're saying, originally you you started saying, you know, you and your friends had done that talk to to other students about whether you should go and study or not you it was almost like you were getting the best of both worlds but then you're when you're presented with that scenario you know you're like I want to finish this I've, yeah, I've worked three years, literally the last seven days and it was like you know literally ruined you know because to me it was so going to the academy because my sister went to the academy so to me that was so important to get that piece of paper course because it had the academy on it and plus we were also the last year to get rsamd on the thing as well just for me like as an historical thing and you know people on the wall i was like to me it was so important to me you know because i'd been striving looking at the academy to go there it was a goal of mine you know Uh, like one of those boxes or little hurdles i had to get over and i was like i'm not I, i really don't want to throw this away so did you totally nail the production, even though you didn't go to the tech? Yeah, it was uh, eventful, shall we say, but very scary. Okay. It was, it was like, but I think you know any actor will do this. You know they'll. We like to put ourselves on the edge like a roller coaster, and go, yeah, just throw me on stage. You know, I'll wing it and see what happens. And you do it. You, you know, you're like, oh no, 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 and you go and do it. But it's got, it's like a drug. You know. When you do situations like that, so. And what is your like? What is I'm going to use the word process, but you know when you are going up for something, you get a script. Like, do you have certain things that you have to do? You've just kind of created this almost like routine for yourself prior to either going on set or you know you're going into a production or even just an audition. Is are there things that need to be in place that you've done to make sure that you're ready? Yeah, there's like technical things as well like there's it's kind of like a double-edged sword like answer to this technically there's things that i do um like most actors i'm not saying every actor is but uh, uh i'm dyslexic so the reason why i became an actor is because uh, i couldn't read at school that much and there was a lot of pressure when the teacher said oh tony can you read this page so what i learned to do is i memorized like, the bit like if it was a story or knew I was going to say. So they thought I was reading it off the book, but I wasn't. Wow. <laughs> I was cheating. Because <laughs> I'd remember the lines. Because uh, my mum would help me. So I would go in and just learn like pages off these books. 
So it was a technique that I'd built up from primary school all the way up that I could learn lines. So yeah, so due to that, when I get a script, um, like I'll do like the highlighting and stuff and just really getting the lines down. But in terms of uh, my acting process, and again, it's a question you get a lot. And I hate to say that I'm, you know, like a lazy actor, but uh, I literally do just play myself, you know, and I'm very comfortable that I get cast in the roles that I get cast in, mainly soldiers, because that's what I do naturally and I don't need to act. On your show deal, that was the first thing that came up. And I, I was like, right away, before you, you'd even spoken, I was like, yeah, like I believed you right away in that uniform. Yeah, it's just I get cast as soldiers from yeah from Warhorse to Jimmy McGovern uh, to Dunson and the Royal Shakespeare Company to it's just soldiers. So, and I don't mind that. And then, like, it's, and I always say this to even young actors as soon as you, kind of get that chip off your shoulder that you know oh I want to be and I want to be a versatile actor I want to do you know I want to do period I want to do modern I want to you know play all these different characters and I was like that's great but there's very few actors in the world who can do that but as soon as you know who you are as a person and who you are as an actor and what I hate to say what product you are then you'll start working. Yeah because surely I mean whether you're playing a soldier in every single thing that you do yeah. it's a different production you're working with yeah. different people it's a different exactly. story but yeah like, it's, it's funny that like as soon as i saw your image in the uniform i was like yeah it yeah, just yeah. believed you right away yeah. it's funny like i don't know if, like it's obviously just something that you embody i've been around a lot of soldiers so i've got like a 1940s 50s inspired dance troupe so we do a lot of military events cool, yeah. and we had a best friend who was in the military so that that is just like a world that i'm familiar with so yeah, yeah i don't know what it was it was some instinct so just when i saw you i was like absolutely well that's the thing like it was if i wasn't gonna be an actor i would have been in the army my brother was in the army i've had my uncle uh i was color sergeant in the ta so no right okay it's all coming together then well that's the thing so it's so the the reason again it kind of goes back to like the reason the jimmy mcgovern series i got is i think well they'd cast an actor in it uh, and apparently the rumor was it was uh martin compston was meant to be doing it my part but his show that he was doing overran and the actors had to do like a week's workshop with the army doing guns uh, rifle training and so they needed someone who could drive a certain vehicle and was already trained so again they were like well tony can do it you know so yeah yeah so i'd already auditioned for the part but never got it and it's again it's like people like oh well do not mind you know your second choice and i was like this is the world that this is the business that you're in if you get an opportunity to act you take it so and that's yeah. the thing like the whole audition process and it um, i can imagine it can be quite grueling like but i guess as an actor and that's what you're training for at the academy i guess it's just that process of you're not going to get every job but yeah you, you have to be in it to win it yeah like um a lot of people again you know they ask oh how do you deal with rejection and and I'll, I always angle them towards, there's a 30-second YouTube clip of the actor uh, Brian Cranston from Breaking Bad uh, at an Oscar party, and he gets asked a question. So I always say this because this is not from me, but I think it, it was it was a light bulb moment for him, and it was a light bulb moment for me as well. And I always pass this on. When you go into an audition room, an actor's job is not to get the job. Your job is to act. So you've been given 
a three minute opportunity to do what you love. And once you've done that, uh, the whole thing of you getting that part or anything, there's a thousand different variables going on. Uh, and as soon as you know how the business works, really works and how things get cast, then you have freedom and you have power when you walk away from that addition room because you know it's maybe a thousand things. You know, it might be schedules, you know, um, for example, or it might be they've already cast your mum and you don't know that. So you might not look like the mum or they've cast your wee brother or wee sister. So you don't look like there's family. nothing you can do about that. That's it, not it, it, nothing it, on you. Yeah, it's so many different plates spinning of the yeah. reason why you get, you know, the job. That's such a great nugget of advice for anybody going into that scenario. Like you're yeah. just going in to do something you like doing. Just, yeah. just enjoy it. Just enjoy it. Just give that opportunity. Your job is to do an appealing character or do what you do. That's mm. why you're there and you walk away. And what what would you say is like the difference for you personally? Like, so we're talking about you started in musicals, musical theatre, and then you know TV work and film work, and then we're back to theatre when we're talking about Warhorse. How are those worlds similar, and how are they different for you? Yeah, uh, again, the business is completely different as well. Uh, maybe not so Warhorse because Warhorse is uh, again a big, massive commercial success, and that was a very bizarre thing as well because. As an actor, you know, when you're doing like the rehearsals for it, you know, normally you would have an impulse to go to a certain area on the stage. But they were like, oh, you can't go there, Tony. I was like, why? I was like, well, we've already got the lighting plot because the show's going on already at night because it's been going on for seven, eight years. So you, you, it's literally painting by numbers. You have to stand here at this time. You have to go there. You have to be there and say your lines. So there's not as much creative freedom in that no freedom. Um, yeah. but the great thing that they did was well, especially for my character is David Taylor he's normally from like North London or Northern so I auditioned in my Northern accent and got the part but then I think on the day one rehearsals they turned around and went you're Scottish aren't you Tony and I was like yeah I was like we actually want David to be Scottish which is fantastic so that kind of gave me a little bit of artistic freedom in a way you know David was Scottish uh, so that kind of changed very, very slightly, like the rhythm of stuff, and but it was still going to the plots where I needed to go and do the things that I needed. I mean, I've never seen the production in real life. I've seen some stuff on online. It looks phenomenal. Like it's one of those yeah. things. It's world renowned. Now. Yeah, like yeah, like every day. Even though I was in it for two years, doing eight shows Gosh. a week. But every time the first the music starts and we were waiting behind to come on, literally the hairs literally you still get it and I still every time I hear the music I'm just like oh you know it's just amazing and and we did the centenary year as well so it was 2014 100 years you know so every day was special because it was you know a certain battle would have happened or and the people who used to come and see the show like you never know who was going to be in the audience I was meeting some of my childhood stars and stuff. No really? Yeah, Steps came, you know, H from what? Steps. Oh, like, oh, oh, oh. Bus. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, we had like from that to like rock legends coming and just, you know, every day, you know, there'd be someone cool in the audience, you know? Yeah. Bananas. Absolutely yeah. bananas. Yeah. So moving on from Warhorse, then back into TV. Mm-hmm. You need to be so adaptable and just so malleable in so many ways. Yeah, it's well to me, like my process will always be the same, you know, and it's just 
you just change it up, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I said, you know, like for TV and film, you know, the addition process, like it's all self tapes now. Tell me about this. So, yeah, and like, I guess on lockdown and stuff like that, it's like everybody's house is now like a recording studio. Yeah, it's, you know, it, it was kind of going that way while I was at drama school, but you would always do self tapes for productions that were in America, like in America, obviously. Mm. Uh, but uh, it's just casting directors just can't see everyone and they don't have the time or the budget. So, self taping is a godsend from them because then they can see slightly more people than they can normally see but i remember i did in plain sight and i did a self-tape and i got cast off it and then the first time i never met the director the first time i met the director uh was like on set so I, I, but i felt I, I i didn't like it you know uh i like auditioning i like getting the rapport of that you know and it was really bizarre i did not like the fact that i hadn't seen someone physically to get the part yeah, I get that. Um, so it was a really bizarre thing, but that's the way the world is now, you know, especially for like the smaller parts for like one, two, three lines. You know, you won't go in a room now. Then the cast director will go, look, this is this is Tony. He's done this, this and this. This is his showreel. This is his self-tape, you know, for these two, three lines. Yes or no, you know, so, so that. And you've that, also been in um, Shetland. Yeah, that was, again, so I always say it's very, one, it's a blessing as an actor if you get to act professionally, mm-hmm. but it's also even more a blessing if you get to do your little secret tick list. I, I always love Shetland watching it. It's filmed beautifully, and now normally when you get cast in Shetland as the guest parts, you're like part of the village, but I actually got cast as one of, like, DC Jackson, so I got to be in the actual room. Where they, you know, I loved how you, you you just literally single signal to that guy to like bust in the door, yeah. and then you walk away and you're on your phone. It was <laughs> so smooth. That bit in your story, I'm like, yeah. I love yeah. it. Well, that's the thing that that was a bizarre day because you know the lines, you know, you need to bust the door, and then it's like it's little simple things like that is a very bizarre because it's like DC Jackson goes up to door, knocks on the door, walks away, and it's like. Well, what do you do? But and a fantastic director, Shetland. They know the show so well, and literally, it was like, "Oh, give Tony a mobile phone," and I was like, "Oh, I don't have a mobile phone on me." And then suddenly, the crew came with like an array of mobile phones that I could choose. <laughs> I was like, "Which phone would you like?" <laughs> Which phone would my character? Yeah, have? I was like, "I think we'll have this one." Uh, but yeah, it was, it was just, just like slick. I loved it. Like it was the perfect moment having your show deal. I was like, yes. But it was great though. It was like the, the obviously it was not in the script. You know the the police cars chasing down the road. Mm-hmm. So I got such a buzz because I was in a police car with the the siren going on, and we're like yes. going to get someone. It was like oh, like I literally felt like that five year old boy again on the Royal Mile. You know? I bet you did. I was like, I I was like yeah. <laughs> well, these are all the things you're just like, I get to play today. I get to like go in a police car and drive at high speed with this, I don't know, and like yeah, just playing. It's crazy, yeah. Yeah. And you're obviously extremely good at your job. That's the thing. Like, we're, you know, you're saying that there's so many factors that are involved in you getting the job, but you have to go in there and just do it. You just have to do the thing you love and you clearly do it well. Hence why you've had all these amazing jobs so far. Yeah, it's like, you know, it's, it's a CV that's built over years and, you know, I'm not, you know, I'm not working all the time, you know, let's be, you know, frank about that. And, you know, I, I, I knew very early on that this would be the case that I would be a jobbing actor. Um, most actors are, but mm. you've got to feel comfortable 
and that and you've got to make like a lot of sacrifices as well to be that and I remember I had like a little bit of a wobble like a few months ago and my mum was on the phone you always go to your mum you know and I'm like always go to your mum yeah I was like mum am I doing the right thing she was like Tony you knew this is the career you're this was the lifestyle you're going into and I was like remember I was like yeah you're right you know and I love you know it's just but yeah, it's, it's important to say that though, Tony, about the wobble, because well, yeah, I, mean, I, I have a weekly wobble. So yeah, it's like it's hard. It's yeah. difficult. I mean, the pandemic aside, because you're sitting there and you you kind of reflect on life choices and and it's like right, I'm I'm a 36 year old, no kids. You know, I want to get married. I want to have kids. Is acting going to be able to give me that? And I remember because I always ask a few friends, and then. And then I'll go to my friends and go, yeah, look, I'm a jobbing actor. I've got kids. You know, it is possible. You know, so it's little things like that. And and it's not it's not packing it up, you know, or I'm going to go and be a fireman or a policeman or whatever. Uh, it's, uh, it's about just staying strong and just keeping on that path and just keeping focused, daily grind. And I'm saying that to the students as well. You know, it's it's been 10 years since I've graduated drama school. But I've been on this path since I've been four or five. Yeah. You know, so to me... You can't imagine packing that up now. Yeah, so it's like, it's in me. And my my last agent said that, you know, I did, it's funny, I did, I kind of went, right, even though I wasn't working, I wanted, like, all strings to be cut off from the acting world. So I left my agent and she was like, oh, no, but, you know, I can still phone you. And I was like, no, because I would still feel that I'm still attached. So I literally dropped my agent and then nothing and then I I, I, I kind of kind of fell out of love of acting and that upset me I was like oh how is this possible um the whole world and what was going on and stuff and and so I was like I will know if it's the right choice if something kind of like the phone call moment yeah yep. or the clown moment happens again to me and I was on Facebook, and then uh, a family friend of ours, who's a fantastic uh, director, uh, Bruce Strachan, uh, he was like, Tony, you play soldiers, don't you? I was like, yeah. He was like, you like football, don't you? I was like, yeah. I was like, uh, I might have something for you. I- I'd worked with Bruce in first year. Uh, he directed one of his shows, and he's best friends with my brother-in-law as well. And I thought, you know what? Um, I would love love to work with Bruce I didn't know what the what it was and it was kind of like maybe like a safe space to go back into it and it was a play called A War of Two Halves uh, about the Hearts football team who went to the First World War the first team to sign up and that just just got me back on I fell in love with theatre again um, and it reminded me why I was doing it because um, the the audience who came to see that show weren't normal theatre goers there were football fans who had never and seeing what impact that had on them. And they had like relatives who'd been in that team and stuff. And I was like, that's that's why I'm an actor. That's the power of theatre. So, so, so it was going back to doing a fringe show, but on a slightly big scale. And it was just, and I was like, I'm back. I love this. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. That was that was brave of you to do that. But you obviously needed that time. I did, yeah. Yeah, and you needed the sign. You needed the sign to just remind you of why you were doing it. Yeah, uh, yeah, I had to go. Look, is this what I really want to do? You know, do I want to continue? Yeah. Do I want to go on the other path? And 
become an adult. Uh, but yeah, uh, but, don't, uh, don't go off. It's a trap. Yeah, no, yeah, Peter Pan, <laughs> Peter Pan theory. Uh, but yeah, but I was surrounded by like peers, um, fantastic actor uh, Tim as well. It's these people who mentored me before I got mm. to drama school. My brother's friends and stuff. So it was just really good getting that zest back for acting and the bug again. And it's not that, you know, you have to be one-dimensional and you can, you only do this thing. Obviously, the acting world is quite intense and there'll be lots of things, you know, you're going for auditions and doing self-tapes. And so, yeah, that takes up a lot of your time and your headspace and your energy. But there'll be other things in your life. I mean, I'm just looking at your lovely backdrop. Like, I you're know. a Marvel fan. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Like, you're you're yeah. not just one thing. You're not just, oh, Tony, the actor. Like, you have yeah. other interests. Yeah, like, you kind of mentioned it, you know, like, I was always Tony the actor. And especially doing War Horse, even though it was an amazing time, it was for two years. And people kind of warned us, like, when you come out the show, you're going to hit the blues because you've been doing something every day for two years, a big show routine, almost like a nine to five job in a way. And then this is the previous cast said, make sure you've got something when you come out. Now, obviously, you're thinking, oh, what do you mean, like an acting job? But they're like, no, something completely different, you know, like a hobby. And I was like, well, this is acting's my love, my passion. I was like, no, like find something that you, yeah. you know, like you can claw on and gets you going. So, um, so yeah, that passion. And then that's kind of how I got into the whiskey world as well. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah, so this is kind of when I was like, oh, am I going to be an actor or not? Because I fell in love with the world of whiskey and not, not necessarily because of the drink, you know. It's uh, I love the storytelling aspect of it, of like the stories and the history. So it's kind of similar to acting in a way. And uh, I got a job at a fantastic uh, whiskey bar, Soho Whiskey Club, and I said, "Look, I know I'm Scottish, but I know nothing about whiskey." <laughs> yeah. And then uh, George and the manager went, "Don't worry, I'll teach you everything that I know." Cool. Suddenly. I was really good at it because I was a storyteller. So I was really good at doing the whiskey tasting and telling the stories about the distilleries and stuff. And uh, yeah, and then I came back up to Scotland and then my friend, mum um, and dad had started a company called Edinburgh Gin. Uh, my mate Finlay from a year and uh, they've got the distillery and the tours and needed a job. And then uh, Finlay was like, well, why don't you come and work for me? Do the tours and stuff. So I got some distillery experience and they got bought by Ian McLeod, which do Tamdu, Glengoyne. And I was in this, I was doing two two things that I loved. I was kind of performing, telling the history of Edinburgh Gin, but while still in the spirits world as well. And uh, and we did sort of a show at the Fringe as well, talking about botanicals and stuff. And yeah, I just really loved like the whole world and just, it's such a buzz when you go in a room, like the whiskey show in London, because you see hundreds of people who are so passionate about whiskey. And you have people from different sides of the world just meet and are chatting about whiskey and they've never met before. They're from completely different backgrounds, but they like they coincide over this one thing that's of course, from this common interest. A common interest. It was fantastic. And I, I I love that. So yeah. So uh and kind of from that I've uh slowly we've I've started my own whiskey business from that. Cause I because I, I was getting paid talking about other people's brands, which I loved in doing whiskey tasting. And someone's like, well, why don't you do like your own sort of? Uh, so I've kind of started, uh, it's called A Barley Laughs. 
we've bought uh, whiskey from different distilleries, uh, and we'll be launching that next year. So, yeah, it's it's something that I it, talking about Tony the actor and stuff. It's something I wish I'd listened to more and done that a few years ago. Now it's not like having another job, but having another passion. My two passions are whiskey and I love films. So we've also, me and my friends from Glasgow, and we've got a little uh, sort of YouTube channel that we've just started where we just yeah. and talk about it because we'd, it, was, it was a common thing. I would fly up and see all the Marvel films with them when I was in London. But we would just chat about theories, about films, about directors, and, and they were always saying, oh, we should be filming this. Because we would we would say like amazing golden nuggets, like oh, imagine if this happens. It was like we should be filming this. So uh, it took us three years and a global pandemic <laughs> for us to do this. Uh, so we've got a wee small YouTube channel. It, it, it's called Geekified, but I just love it because again, it's just us, our passions, and what we love. And again, it's something that brings us together that we can chat about. So I've got that little bubble. Then I've got my whiskey bubble, and then obviously I've got my acting bubble. So it's the three, the three pillars of Tony McGeever. That's you know, Love that. but I wish I had those two other pillow uh, pillars, pillows, uh, those pillars. Uh, while uh, when I got out of Warhorse, but it's things Everything that happens for a reason, yeah. and it yeah. happens when it happens. I guess mm-hmm. do you know what I mean. But yeah, like the you know the art of procrastination is is what I am great at you know and I have I sat on ideas for so long and then eventually something pushes me to do it and it's you know it's fine I I, I guess like there's things that I, I should have started this podcast you know way before I did but it's yeah. been one of the best things you know and, and I'm known as Lisa the dancer yeah so that that's my kind of label but doing this podcast has opened up such a world to me you know the, the fact that I get to speak to interesting people like yourself yeah. and that people are listening to the podcast and they're loving it all around the world it blows my tiny mind yeah. but then just like sometimes it does take a global pandemic for us to go do you know what let's just make that thing happen that we we're thinking about yeah yeah definitely and uh talking about like fortune telling it's like y- you are where you need to be right now in doing yeah, the, thing, trust you know, the universe trust the universe you know you don't don't worry about the future or the past. You are doing what you need to be doing now. And, and everything you do complements the other. Do you know what I mean? Because yeah. there'll be somebody you meet on one of those whiskey tours or you'll be doing the YouTube thing and then all of a sudden there'll be some link. I mean, I think your your world just sounds like everything is just all linked. All these amazing phone calls and people seeing you in the room. and Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's all uh, working for the same common goal. Yeah. And if your intentions are good and you are just being passionate about whatever you're doing, then, yeah, yeah I think I think it's, yeah, I it's, think it's, it's yeah, fine. Yeah, like my parents and my family always say, you know, always be kind because you never know who you'll meet. The thing is, like, whether you're absolutely awesome at what you do, See if you're not really a nice person, then it makes it difficult to work with you. Oh, it's yeah, uh, it's conversations that some of my actor mates, you know, like obviously we won't name names, but it's just like, oh, they're great acting, but they're just we're thinking they're not really nice people. You know, why are they getting up? You know, it's give a job to someone nice. (laughs) McGeever, he's nice. He said yes to doing my podcast, even though he didn't know me. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> and he gave Cameron Barnes somebody to sleep, so yeah, and I give free whiskey to people, so it's great. Well, well, as an on-drinker, <laughs> I don't know if that's <laughs> you know it fascinates me that world. And actually, I started like an offshoot of 
the podcast called Scotland the Brawbrave and I want to celebrate the traditions of Scotland because actually my first professional job was working for a Scottish dance company and it was about preserving the dances of Scotland, Highland and Orkney and Step and stuff. And, and it has been on my radar to to talk about whiskey because yeah. it's something I know hee-haw about because I don't yeah. drink. Oh, it's such a bizarre, wonderful world and like the people you meet and the stories you hear and you're learning like any any world. I do call it a world because it is... Yeah, it's very tight. It's very tight, tightly closed. But once they let you in, it's like, oh, this is very interesting. What's going on in here? Yeah, love it. We might need to do another podcast episode just about whiskey. Just whiskey, yeah. <laughs> Loving it. Yeah. So, sir, I am going to take you on to what's called the thingamabobs. These are just random questions, but it's just a a way of getting to know my guests a wee bit better. Oh, go for it. Right. So, sir, firstly. I know you're a very active person. Yes. So if you could pick one song to be like your workout anthem, what would it be? Uh, it's Eye of the Tiger. Chin! Big, big Rocky fan, so. You were right in there. No pause. No pause. When you receive your Oscar, Emmy, Olivia, Tony Award, whatever it may be, who would you want to present it to you? Oh, Billy Conley. I mean, talking about podcast guests, that's like a dream podcast guest. Legend, yeah. Because I, I grew up watching him on the telly and he was important for me because he also showed that, to me, Scottish people could be on television and successful and funny and, you know, so, uh, but yeah, Billy Connolly. He's the man. What's the one story that someone in your family or friends retell about you time and time again? Um, so I, I think it was my cousin Dominic's birthday and we were all in like a pub, you know, having the food, the lunch and it came dessert time and all my cousins got knickerbocker glories, like big ones. And I got a wee one and I started crying and I huffed and puffed and stormed to the toilet. Now, this is honest. This is my thinking. And I always say this, that it was quite remarkable as probably a five, six-year-old. The reason why I was upset, not because of the size, but I thought my mum and dad were getting conned that they had to pay the same price for the big one. Tony. That's that's what I was got annoyed at. I was like, if I was like, I was thinking if my mum and dad's paying for that price, why am I not getting a big one? Because we've paid for it. That's what I got upset about. <laughs> that was my thinking. My bizarre, bizarre thinking. As a child, not that they got, I was jealous that they got bigger ones. It was the whole money thing. I thought my mum and dad were going to get conned out of money. What a thoughtful boy you were. I was. And are. Yeah, <laughs> and are. Yes, still. So, so, so it's, always, it's always a joke when we go for like family dinners and meals. When it comes to dessert time, my mum always turns around and goes, Knickerbocker Glory, Tony? <laughs> I'm like, mum. You even get Knickerbocker Glories anymore. I know. That's eighties an eighties kid right there. That's what well, that's what I was thinking. I'm an eighties kid and also. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, what has been your lockdown saviour? Lockdown saviour. I went and got these. Uh, you can't see them, but uh, it's like boards for marker pens. I've got checklists. So there are three big ones on my wall. Like when I wake up, uh-huh. I've got a to do list. So I've got three different ones. I've got mind, body, and spirit checklist of things to do. The next one, uh, I've named it All Things Creative. 
because uh, I'm writing at the moment, so I'm doing a lot of films. Uh, I've got a kid's book that's getting published. Yeah. Yes, thank you for bringing that up, because I wanted to ask you about Yeah, that. yeah. So, uh, so, so it's just little things, like, creatively that, you know, you have an idea, but it's like, oh, I need to do it. So I've got all those things, and and on them is Brawn and the Brave, 11 a.m. podcast. So that is a creative thing. Little things like that, It's uh, it goes on the board. And then the other one is my whiskey bit. I like to do whiskey stuff. And it's it was a technique that I learned that people's heads and your brains can be very messy with things going on. And it's almost like a storage device, which your brain is. But just literally taking it out of your head and put it on a piece of paper. So good. It really does take the stress away of things. So, so I don't need to remember a list of what to do. The list's there. So the fact that what I don't... Organizer. Well, yeah. And literally, like things get done. If it's on that, it will get done. And even though I've got like a, a mark, you know, to rub it out, I'll still tick it first and then rub it off. It's the fast, you know, just ticking it is really good. So. Yeah, it's like the ceremony of going, I've done that. Yeah, so this is kind of, you know, you know, stop the wobbling. It's kind of structured. This is what I need to do in life to get where I want to be. Uh, so it's uh, a physical to-do list that an almost imagine board, like where I wake up and go, that's what I want to do. That's this is what I need to do. So, yeah. I feel very privileged to be on the list. Thanks very much. Yeah, yeah you're all things creative. There we are. Well, well, that should be my tagline. <laughs> And yeah, children's book. Please tell me about that. Yeah, so that kind of um so I was obviously in lockdown and uh and uh, you know, I've got family in Scotland and I hardly get to see my nephews or nieces, especially for their birthdays. And I thought, you know what? And I think at the start of lockdown, all creatives were very creative. So I thought, you know what? I'm gonna write a little kids' book for my nephews and niece. Because I, I remember he, uh, I heard uh, like my nephew over the phone to my sister asking, Mum, why can't I go out and play? Yeah. And he didn't get, you know, they don't really understand what is going on because we can't see. Because we don't understand. Yeah, we don't understand. You know, like we're like, what? It's uh, So I thought, you know what, I'll do a nice little kid's book, a little poetry, so like 12 things of, you know, why can't I go out and play, Mum? You know, I want to go out. I want to you know, fight a dragon, I want to do this. So I wrote this, and then my partner at the time, uh, uh, Rahad, she was like, um, Faez, uh, who lived in the flat, he's a fantastic, beautiful artist. Uh, first of all, he's a fantastic actor, but he can draw. And he was like, yeah, why don't you get Faez to do some drawings for it? I thought he was going to do, you know, a really quick sketch. But then he presented us with his most beautiful, beautiful artwork. And we were like, oh, we can't just, we need to do something now with this. It's a thing now. Yeah, it's a, it, it's a thing. You, Fire made it a thing. Like, really, you know. Uh, so I thought, right, what I'll do is I'll, you know, I'll put it, I'll digitalize it, and I'll do the voiceover. So I did that. But then we're like, no, we could really do more for this for charity as well. So I was like, okay, we'll do a Kickstarter campaign, see if we can get the money. And I had a publisher who, you can like self-publish the book and stuff, and they went, "Well, do it and see what you've got." So sent, so I got the contract. So I'm now assigned writer. You know, so I've got a publication. Uh, so it's fantastic. So yeah, so that's going to print now. So obviously, you be able to buy it on Amazon and different stores and stuff, and uh, and the profits after it's really complicated, but the profits will be able to go to save the children. 
uh, that, I mean, that's brilliant. Yeah, and it's all um, it was all like Rahad's uh, idea and uh, Fiaz's beautiful work, and it's kind of like a little team. And yeah, it's, it, it just became this little scene and became a huge thing. Uh, and we had the, the head of the, the UN. They co- they knew that this book was getting done. So hopefully, once it gets printed, we'll start doing it in different languages like Arabic and things like that. So uh, it's it's I always say you know it's 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 a very like like I keep going to it's like it's just a kids book. It's very simple. And they're like no, that's what kids books are. It's really simple and just easy. And uh, but yeah, so uh, that was a nice thing. Yeah, that's amazing. Well done. What's the book yeah. called? Uh, it's called uh, "Mummy, Why Can't We Go Out and Play," and it's through and it's fire and it's through the eyes of a dog. Yes, I saw the artwork. It's yeah. So yeah, so we'll see where that comes. You know, we, there might be more adventures with this dog. What happens when the dog gets out to play? So we, we might it might become a thing, but we haven't named yeah. the dog though. So uh, maybe we might have to name the dog. So we'll do a competition or something. But yeah, that, it was again. It was just a fantastic thing and uh, to do to write and those things. You know what starts off as something and it becomes bigger it's really nice so the art of storytelling for kids is not not to keep them entertained for half an hour or it's not oh i'll read this and i'll go to sleep it's much more than that they're really important uh part of their building up who they are and learning about the world and models and yeah and appreciating who you are as a person and celebrating that and that not everyone's the same and 100 percent. yeah but like i always say like you know like like they always say, oh, I'm always uh, weary of what my kids watch on television and films. And I was like, well, are you the same about what you read to them? I love how you've done that. That's that's awesome, and yeah. like for such a great cause as well. That's, that's yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So well done, Tony McGeever. <laughs> List of talents, just yeah. endless. Yeah. And I'm really sad to be finishing this conversation, but I do have to ask you, what is your favourite Scottish word or phrase? Oh, I don't know. So many, especially you know, for my love of Billy Conley as well. But yeah, I don't know. It's um, I really don't know. It's so hard. Stumped you. I've stumped Tony McGee. Me in the last hurdle. I'm trying to think. Uh, so when I was at drama school, I had fantastic voice coaches, and you know, I always thought the Scottish dialect was just an accent, but it's a language. You know, yes, we've got you know Gaelic, but the Scottish language is an actual language. And I think it's you know important to keep that alive. Clearly not through me because because <laughs> <laughs> I'm stumped. Uh, drink it if it's drink. I like drink. It does come up a lot that one. That is, yeah. that's probably the top answer. Yeah, because I like I like you know I do miss the the doom and gloom rain of Scotland sometimes. Looking at a window, it's makes me cozy. <laughs> and Tony McGeever, what is on that list for the rest of the day? The list. Oh, so much um yeah i've got so many you know plate spinning with like uh and really exciting projects happening but i can't really talk about them really no but it's like literally it's all about rights and yeah but hopefully you know this time next year they'll be like oh what's tony doing oh he's oh he's doing that ah right so uh again knowing the bit has been really important to you know, acting's good, but going back, I think we're in the world where you need to create your own work right now. You have to, you know. Um, so that's what I'm kind of pushing with my writing and other producing stuff as well. So, uh, Love it. Tony McGeever, thank you so much for being no, on the Broad Thank you.
Thank you. We were going to do this in real life, but we're not yeah. allowed to be in real life now. I know. Again. But hopefully the next time that you're in Scotland, we will be allowed to, and I we could possibly meet in IRL. Yes, 100%. Yes. Thank you so much, sir. You're no. an absolute dream. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of The Braw and the Brave, a podcast about people and their passions. Join us next time for more insight and inspiration from my wonderful guests. Bye for now.